today. Uh, we're going to study uh, God's Word. It'll be Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. You might want to find that in your Bible. Luke 13, 18 through 21. Uh, it's a, uh, a passage of Scripture that uh, follows what we studied last week, which was Luke uh, 13, 10 through uh, 17, and uh, when I was uh, studying for this, I first actually, Nathan, had he sends us out the list of scriptures that we're going to uh, preach on, and uh, mine was last week's section of scripture, so I started studying that because I study way ahead, I'm kind of slow like that, and uh, I was studying what he preached last week, and uh, then Two weeks ago, he said, uh, we're going to change that, and you're going to get to preach the next set of Scripture. And I said, well, great. Thanks a lot, uh, Nathan. But, uh, you know, being obedient like I am, I said, okay, well, that's good. Uh, just shift gears. As a matter of fact, that's what I texted him back. I'm just going to shift gears and go, to, go with that. And so I started studying it, and uh, as I studied it, if you'll notice in, in verse 18 there, it says, he said, therefore. Now, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to think about what is that therefore? What is there? What is therefore behind it? What's this talking about? It's therefore for a reason. It makes you look back at what was previously said or done so you can relate to what's going to happen next. So he's doing this for a reason. So he says, therefore, he's going to tell us something because of what just happened, okay? So because of that, I'm glad I studied the Scripture uh, for the last time, because I wasn't here last week to hear Nathan, but I need to kind of give an overview of what he said last, or not what he said last week, but what the scripture said to me when I studied it, uh, and says anyway, and so um, as I studied that to see what the therefore was there for, uh, this is uh, what, what I saw and what you see. Uh, in the In the previous... A group of scripture from 10 to 17 you find there was a uh, conflict that Jesus was having within the church and uh, there's a couple of obvious conflicts one was with uh, Satan was bound the woman so there was a conflict he had with that it was Satan uh, there and there was a conflict with the Jewish leadership so he had that conflict but there's one that you don't see just right off uh, unless you look uh, look at it and think about it a little bit, and uh, it starts with verse seventeen or verse ten. It says, "And now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath." And hidden in that statement, there, there's really two points of conflict. The first point is, if Jesus was teaching, what did he teach? He taught doctrine that went against what the Pharisees and Sadducees taught. So there's conflict in that. So that started the conflict of the day. And then, uh, because the way the Jewish uh, leaders taught was that you keep the law, you go through legalistic work, uh, rules, and uh, you toe the line in the law, uh, and then they had all these little extra little legalistic things that you had to do, which a lot of them were based around the Sabbath, right? And so uh, because of that, uh, they had piled on this immense... Uh, work 
theology that they had uh, amassed against the, with the Word of God and from that so that the people uh, had a burden that they couldn't bear. Uh, and so uh, he was teaching. What was he teaching? Well, uh, we can really look back to the beginning of his ministry to find that. And that would be, uh, if you just go back in Luke, since we're in Luke, in Luke 18, uh, or Luke 4, where the picture is Jesus uh, had been baptized, and he was had gone into the desert, and, uh, uh, and Satan tempted him, and he came out, and he started preaching, right? His ministry began there. Well, one of the first places that he preached was he went to his hometown of Nazareth, and that's in, in Luke chapter 4. And he read the scripture, and he quoted uh, uh, Luke in Luke 4, 18 through 19, which is literally from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has, he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind uh, to set the uh, to set liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor so this is about him being the Messiah coming and about the grace that he came to give and uh, and and it's gained not by doing by doing prescribed acts of uh, or works of the law, but it's it's uh, gained by trusting him as the Messiah and trusting the grace that he came to give, and then that changing your life to follow him. And uh, later on, see, he's telling them what he's come to do. Later on, he it, in verse forty-three of chapter four, it says he says, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God." In other towns as well, uh, I was sent for this purpose, and so he went on and went through the uh, Judea to the synagogues and preached. So this is what he's doing that day. His he's fulfilling his mission to go to the synagogues and preach this message. Well, this message was antithetical to what the the uh, uh, leaders of Israel taught. So there's your first rub right there in conflict. So it uh, apparently would get them riled up when you're teaching something that they don't believe or what they teach. And the other thing is that he did it on the Sabbath, which that's a rub for him too because, uh, number one, he's going to have more people there at, at the synagogue on the Sabbath than any other day, so he's going to reach more of their, their people and therefore cause them stress because uh, it's influenced influencing the people with teaching that they don't believe. So there's your first uh, conflict, and it's really truth versus error. And then uh, the next conflict, like I said, was the conflict with Satan. And there was a woman that was disabled for 18 years with a spirit uh, that caused her to be bent over, and she couldn't straighten up. And Jesus uh, laid his hands on her, straightened her up, and uh, so... Uh, it even says later that Satan had bound her for 18 years. And so Jesus sets her free from this uh, oppression that the uh, that Satan had caused on her. And so there's a conflict there with her and her life. 
and uh, she's set free, and so he, uh, that conflict is resolved. So there's another conflict. And then that conflict, though, leads to the next conflict, uh, and that's conflict with the hypocrites, the ones that were leading the synagogue, uh, and that's the church leaders. And, uh, and they say, hey, you can't do that on, on the Sabbath because uh, you're, you're doing a work on the Sabbath. You really think about, is there any work in, in that? God doesn't have to, God doesn't work anyway, but what he did, is there any physical work in that other than he just touched that lady? But uh, they were so against Jesus and what he was doing and what he was uh, um, about that if they could find anything that they, they could uh, condemn him for, they were going to make up a rule about it. So they, they even made up the rule that, hey, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And uh, so he, he nailed them on that by saying, look, you and your law say that it's okay to untie your uh, ox or your donkey and take them to water, but it's not. you're telling me it's not okay to heal somebody on the Sabbath? You're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, all the people said, that's right, and they were all on his side, and the last verse says, and uh, he had won that conflict there. He says, and, all the, and he said all these things, and all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. So uh, uh, he, he'd won the conflict, and then the very next thing he does is he says, and he said, therefore, and what he said was, what is the kingdom of God like? So because of what happened before, he is prompted to ask this question out loud to them. And uh, I start thinking, okay, since it's, it says, therefore, he, he's asking this question, what happened before that made him ask this question? And Jesus, being God and being omniscient, knows everything we think, right? And so as he was surmising the thoughts of the people that had were in his presence, the people that were probably hearing him for the first time in the synagogue and his disciples and apostles that were with him, uh, they had questions in their mind. And he's answering a question that they had in their mind here. They're thinking, okay, if this is the kingdom of God, it's not like anything we've ever seen before, so what's it like? Uh, if you think about it, they came... Uh, to know Christ uh, over a period of years. There had been 300 years where the uh, there had been no prophet in Israel, and so there was that dark period for Israel. And then here comes uh, 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 the uh, coming of John the Baptist. Zachariah and Elizabeth are told by an, an angel announces the coming of uh, they're going to have a child in their old age and he'll be John the Baptist, the one that's going to uh, set the path for Jesus to come in. And so this is like the first light that comes in all this darkness. And so there's an excitement about the angel announcement and John the Baptist comes and people, he's teaching, repent and be baptized, get yourself ready for the Messiah's coming. And so uh, people get excited thinking about the Messiah coming and what's going on. 
Lots of people came out from Jerusalem and all over to be dis- to be baptized. And then uh, there's also the angelic announcement to uh, Joseph and Mary that a virgin-born son of God is coming, the Messiah, and is going to be living in their home. So there's excitement about that. And then the angelic announcement of the host of angels to the uh, shepherds that uh, the Messiah is here. So the word is getting out. People are excited. And, uh, and so they think about that, and they're looking for it, but they're not seeing it. They're not seeing it. The Messiah is going to be a king, a kingdom of God's coming. And they're going, well, wait, what the, what's this kingdom of God going to be like? And so he's, he's preparing, he's going to tell them what it's like and trying to set them straight in the way they're thinking about the kingdom and the kingdom of God. And so uh, uh, as, he, as uh, time goes on, uh, Jesus lives his life for 30 years and not a miracle, not a teaching being put out by him, nothing. And then finally, uh, he comes, he starts teaching for three years. He gets uh, a following of thousands of people at first. I mean, everybody's excited. They're just getting pumped about it. They're going and uh, and seeing this, this these miracles and hearing about all this stuff. And uh, it's just, you know, talking about it here, there, and everybody's pumped up about it. And then the uh, the leaders of Israel, uh, they start they they hear what he has to say, and what he's teaching, and they reject him. And as they reject him, uh, they also see he's a problem, and it's a serious problem for them. He's pulling people away from their teaching, and that's a threat to their religious structure. And so uh, it wasn't enough just to ignore him; they had to get rid of him. And so he, they began to plot his death, right? And so uh, they started spreading the, throughout the land that, you know, what Jesus is doing, he's doing that by the power of Satan. And so uh, uh, they're spent on uh, Jesus was beginning to be uh, picked up by a lot of the people. And so they bought, bought into it. It's kind of like the fake news of their day, uh, and people were buying into it. And so... Uh, and then the, they they started looking past the miracles uh, as if they didn't happen. And then they were continuing to plot uh, against his, plot his death till finally they brought it about. And uh, and by now the followers had dwindled to just the inner circle. You had twelve, right? And one of those was a uh, was a traitor. And then there was a few dozen that were identified as the seventy that were sent out. Uh, to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And uh, so you put all that together, and you don't even have 100 there towards the end. Uh, and then uh, uh, if you look in throughout Gal- Galilee, when he, even when he was resurrected and they knew about it, there were only about 500 believers there for that. Uh, and then uh, you go to Jerusalem in the upper room, 120. That's a meager beginning, right? Uh, it was coming becoming pretty... Uh, apparent that this kingdom wasn't happening the way that uh, people would think it should, right? That's just antithetical and backwards from all our thinking. And uh, and Jesus was every day preaching the kingdom. He was uh, uh, everywhere he went. The kingdom of God is everything he talked about. Uh, 
you know, that we saw that from the beginning. That was his mission to talk about the kingdom of God. And then, uh, and first they were eager about the kingdom of coming. Uh, and they were so eager. Remember the, uh, there was a couple of uh, the disciples that got their mother to go up to Jesus and ask him if one could be on his right and one on his left when he came into the kingdom. And uh, of course he said, uh, uh, are you, uh, can you drink the cup that I, that I drink? Talking about his suffering. Uh, but see, that's what they were expecting, a kingdom where they were, they were lifted up and it was a, a kingdom like the kingdom of the world. Uh, so they'd never seen a kingdom like this that was so impotent it looked like to them. Uh, it, it wasn't visibly sovereign. Uh, it didn't act, exercise any apparent authority over the nation of Israel or the, uh, or the world or the leaders. Uh, no one could see uh, Jesus as a king or the following he had as a kingdom. Remember when uh, Pilate uh, had Jesus on trial before him? What did he say? Are you a king? Apparently Pilate didn't see that he was a king. Uh, there was a doubt in his mind, and uh, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Not of this world? What kind of king is he then? What kind of kingdom is this? Uh, if he is, is a king, he's not visible as a king. And if he has a kingdom, it's not visible as a kingdom because nobody was seeing it. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God back then was invisible to them, and so is the kingdom of God invisible to people today. Uh, and, and the world doesn't, doesn't see Jesus as a king now any more than it did back then, and it doesn't see the kingdom any more now than it did back then. Uh, so they moved painfully towards the cross, with their messianic dreams dying along the way uh, because it just wasn't going the way they thought it would go. Frankly, it looked like the mission of Jesus was a disaster. Uh, and when they killed him, everyone fled. I can, it would be hard for me to imagine what was going through their minds, but they probably had thoughts like, what kind of king are you? You're hanging on a cross. Uh, what kind of kingdom is this? It's powerless, weak small, obscure, despised. Those are the kinds of questions that were prompting Jesus to say what he says in this passage that we're going to look at today. So that was all just lead in. So the rest of the time is, is what we're going to start counting now, okay? So set your clock. Uh, so Luke 13, 18 through 21, it says, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what do I compare it? Is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed into his field, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Well, frankly, that doesn't help us much, does it? Sounds like riddles, doesn't it? Uh, but a parable unexplained is a riddle. So, Let's talk about it. Uh, these were familiar stories that Jesus told. Uh, the same two parables, as a matter of fact, are illust uh, or illustrations are in Matthew 13, almost a verbatim. Uh, uh, 
And so Jesus had spoken of the kingdom before in this fashion, and you can be sure that he was explaining this to his disciples as he went. Uh, and so uh, the, the principle here is small beginnings have great endings. And that's what he was trying to teach in this. So uh, you see it? Uh, you got a tiny mustard seed. You get a huge bush, right? Uh, you get uh, a little piece of leaven, and it leavens everything. So uh, he's saying to the disciples, don't be deceived about the power uh, and the influence of the kingdom. Nor should we be deceived, be deceived about it, nor should we be deceived about it, because uh, we're certainly in a better position now than they were then because we're hindsight is 2020 right so 2,000 years later we see how the bush is, is growing and how the leaven is permeating uh, uh, it must have been a huge stretch for them to grasp what he was talking about uh, they uh, for sure they couldn't they could see the tiny part and the hidden part of the kingdom is being invisible because they were living it. Uh, and they could understand that it was like a little lump of sourdough uh, with the rest of the uh, that's stuck in the rest of the flour uh, dough of the world. Uh, because they lived in a world where uh, these kind of things were common, the gardening and bread making, uh, that was just part of their life. So uh, Jesus was using these examples to illustrate what he's talking about. Uh, uh, well, let's look at the two and see what he meant by them. The first one indicates, the first one being the, the uh, mustard seed, indicates that there will be external power demonstrated by, the, by this kingdom, that, that he, uh, the kingdom of God. And it's like a mustard seed. A man took it, threw it in the garden, it uh, grew and became a tree, and the birds nested in its branches. Now, mustard seed produced a bush here. And uh, if y'all have seen mustard plants, you don't know them as bushes, right? They're just small plants. But in the Middle East, there's a mustard called the black mustard, and it literally grows to eight feet tall and has a di diameter of... Uh, 15 feet around so that turns into a not a timber tree but a a, a large bush and uh, as far as garden plants go it's the biggest plant that uh, they knew anything about as a matter of fact in Matthew 13 where the uh, where the same uh, parable is told 1332 Jesus says that the mustard seed is the least of all seeds the smallest of all uh, and critics of the Bible say, aha, Jesus is wrong. The Bible can't be trusted because that's not correct. There are smaller seeds. Smaller seeds. Uh, and not only that, Jesus can't be God or he would know better than to say something that's not true. But the matter of the fact is that with a little bit of investigation, it's the critics are the ones that are going to look foolish. Uh, the word seed here is used to describe a planted herb. Uh, so he's talking about a category of seeds. Uh, it's something that's planted in the garden. Uh, and it's 
literally seeds that are sown by farmers. So it's not every seed, it's just in that category of crop seeds. And of, of all the seeds that were agriculturally uh, sown, uh, this, this is the smallest, so he's correct there. And then Matthew uh, 13, 32 also says, and it became the greatest of garden plants. Uh, the word here is uh, latch anon. I think that's the way you say it. Anyway, uh, it refers to a garden green or vegetable. Uh, and so it's not wild plants or other plants that aren't outside the garden. So it, it's confined to that group of, of uh, plants and seeds. And of all the seeds uh, used to produce food in the garden, uh, it was the smallest, and then it did become the largest. And by the way, if, to just affirm what, all, all this, uh, Dr. L.H. Shiner, who is the director of a herber herbarium at Southern Methodist University of Dallas, uh, there they have 318,000 specimens from around the world that they've studied, and he's a lecturer at the Smithsonian Institute, said this, the mustard seed would indeed have been the smallest of those likely to have been noticed by the people of Christ's time, of the time of Christ. The only modern crop of importance that is smaller seeds than the mustard seed, and the only one of modern day for a crop, uh, for a crop plant is tobacco. And that plant is of the American or origin and was not grown in the old world until the 16th century. So uh, it was the smallest seed they knew of, and it grew to be the largest plant. But the Lord has more in mind than just scientific accuracy here. He was using a proverb, uh, using this as a proverb, because the Jews understood uh, mustard seeds to, to refer to something as being small. The mustard seed in the east was used proverbially uh, to just say smallness. Uh, the Jews would talk about a drop of blood the size of a mustard seed, a small drop of blood the size of a mustard seed, or a tiny breach in the law of God as a defilement the size of a mustard seed. Or the rabbis would speak of a blemish or spot, like when they were checking the animals for sacrifice, a blemish is a spot uh, that would uh, be as small as a mustard seed. And even today, in the Arabs in the Middle East have a phrase about faith weighing no more than the mustard seed. So it, it was in the vernacular back then. Jesus was speaking in the vernacular to them. So that's why he was using this to uh, speak to them. Uh, he was using their everyday terminology. And remember, the Lord uh, uses this same language in Matthew seventeen twenty. If you have a faith the size of what? Mustard seed. Uh, you may say to this mountain, be moved. And he's saying here, if you have small faith, you can do much. And it, that's part of what this proverb is talking about, small going to large. Uh, and so uh, this, is, this is the way that they spoke about something small. Uh, and the parable says that it grew to be a tree. Like I said, not a timber tree, but a large shrub. And, and that's what he's talking about here. In fact, it was so large that it could support not only birds landing in it, but taking up a residence there and building a nest. Now, that's unusual for a garden plant to be that big. You don't see too many birds sitting in your garden plants. But uh, it was so big and so strong, uh, 
that the birds found this a place that was desirable to put their permanent home. And so they were building and staying there. So what's the point of this? The point is about external growth. External is the operative word here. The external growth of the kingdom is what he's picturing for everybody in this. Uh, it starts out extremely small. It's virtually inv invisible, you know, just a speck in your hand. And then, uh, and so, you know, nobody was looking at Jesus and his disciples and his apostles saying, wow, I see the kingdom. Uh, I see I see the king. No, uh, he was crucified and they put a, put a sign above his head even saying, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Uh, that was to mock him. That was ludicrous in their minds. So that's why they put that up there. They didn't see it, and they were just making fun of him for even saying that that was part of what he was doing. Uh, and uh, so nobody saw the king or the kingdom, and because uh, it didn't look like any kind of kingdom that anybody had ever seen before. In Luke seventeen twenty, uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus. When, do, when is the kingdom going to come? And uh, that tells you right off that they didn't see it. They didn't think it was there because they couldn't see it. Uh, the natural man can't see the things of God, so that's why the world doesn't see it now. Uh, and he answered to them and said, The kingdom of God is, is not coming with signs to be observed. It's not going to be visible nor... Uh, will they say, look, here it is, or there it is? For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And so uh, it's in your midst. It's here. It's inside you. It's the sphere of salvation. It's the redeemed that are under their king. Uh, you cannot see it, because, and there's not going to be trumpets. Uh, there's not going to be trumpets. There's not going to be armies. There's no palace. Uh, but it's here. It's small, it's a tiny seed hidden, it has this small beginning. But it's not going to stay that way. You know, Jesus was born in a stable. He was an infant in a tree in a feed trough. That's a small beginning. And uh, it's kind of like the mustard seed, kind of buried in the ground and hidden. Uh, and yet, he was the eternal God. And then for 30 years... He didn't do miracles. He didn't teach a lesson. He was just hidden away. And then uh, three years he had a ministry in towns and villages and occasionally in Jerusalem. He made a few converts, mostly poor, and then he was killed at age 33. Uh, he was the seed that fell to the ground and died. As he said in John 12, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies and abides alone, when it dies it brings forth fruit. So he was prophesying about himself. The story of Jesus is telling about this mustard seed indicates that the kingdom will have small beginnings but great endings. And uh, the second point of this proverb is it grew into a huge plant and it was so big that the birds could nest there. Remember, great endings. That's what the Jews were expecting because... Uh, that's what the prophets had said to them. That's what they were really looking for. And they couldn't see this small beginning thing, but they, they were looking for the great ending thing. Uh, you know, and you look through just the Psalms and what the prophets uh, taught. Psalm 2 says, 
why are the nations in uproar, the kings of the earth taking stand, uh, the rulers taking counsel against the Lord and his anointed? He who sits in the heavens laughs and scoffs at them. He will terrify them, for he will install his king upon his holy mountain. He will give the nations uh, an inheritance to him, and every end, to the very ends of the earth, he will break them with a rod of iron like earthenware. Now that's the Old Testament, what the Old Testament said, and that's what they were looking for. They were looking for a king with a rod of iron on the holy hill uh, that would devastate their enemies. They were looking for Israel to become the nation above all nations and their king to be the king above all kings. Uh, and that's through, it's in the Psalms and prophets all through there. Uh, but they, they love that, but they were missing the point. This is all about the end of the kingdom, not the beginning. Uh, and all of them, uh, the disciples... <laughs> Uh, from the inside and the Pharisees looking from the outside of the situation were looking for the same through the same lens to see uh, and they were seeing only what the ending was about they didn't understand the beginning uh, but he was giving them a powerful prophecy here uh, if, for them to grab hold to uh, some people say that Jesus mission went astray and he he got killed for trying to be the Messiah he made a noble attempt but was unable to fill it. Uh, but people that say that have to explain the external development of Christianity now being the largest religion in the world on the planet. Uh, and it's growing so out of proportion to its meager beginning that we've been talking about. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, guys, you're just seeing the start of this. Uh, nobody sees it now, but just wait. And because like in the language of Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And like in Revelation 19, he said, he will come out of the heaven on a white horse and written on him as king of kings and lord of lords. He establishes his kingdom in a visible way at that time, and there will be the millennial kingdom and then the eternal kingdom. But not right now. That's in the future, right? That's all in the future. Meantime, the kingdom is growing and growing and growing. Now, it's far bigger today than it was back then, right? Uh, it started with that small group, but has grown to an unimaginable number. We have no idea how many people have been impacted over the years. Uh, so, uh, and it will continue to grow till he comes back. But there's another element to this parable. The birds are nesting in the branches. And this is borrowed from Old Testament language. And what is meant here is even people who are not part of the kingdom will benefit from it. Uh, the birds, they're not part of the plant. They don't have the life of the plant. Uh, they don't come from the root of the plant. They're not connected to the vine as in uh, the uh, wordage of John 15. But they build their nest in the tree. What's that? It simply means that the nations of the world are going to find resting place and protection and security and blessing because of the influence of the growth of Christianity. Uh, a simple concept, concept really, and uh, we would understand it. Uh, they could understand it then, and, and here's why. 
this was an old concept. Uh, you remember Joseph? He was taken to Egypt as a slave and moved to the top of the nation, uh, second only to Pharaoh. And then the famine came, and everyone was fed out of, out of their blessing from uh, seven years of plenty. God was taking care of his own, Joseph and his family, but the overflow of that it fed the whole world that was in famine from that, right? So they received the blessing even though they weren't part of it. And that concept is still in play today. Uh, you look at the United States. We're by no means a Christian nation. I mean, some people say that, but we're not. Uh, but we were founded on Christian principles, and we've had many godly men make making decisions and leading in many areas of government and business over the years. And that's been a dominating force in our nation's history uh, that has provided the best possible life on the planet for the non-Christians that nested in this tree of Christianity. Uh, the Lord is uh, showing by this simple parable to them, don't estimate the power and the external growth of the kingdom. Uh, as we speak today, like I said, uh, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. It came from such a small beginning, just as Jesus said it would, uh, and nesting in the tree are the nations of the world benefiting from the blessings of the growth of that kingdom. Uh, that, so that's the external part. Now the second part of the story is the, uh, or the, the second uh, uh, story he tells or parable doesn't look at external it looks at internal it looks the king it uh the kingdom of god not from the external growth but from the internal influence uh knowing that their question that they had their questions he again says in verse 20 to what shall i compare the kingdom of god is like leaven that a woman look, took and hid in a three measures of flour until it was all leaven they can't see it it's invisible it's hidden away uh, it doesn't look it doesn't look like a kingdom uh, and they don't look like rulers of a kingdom it doesn't look like uh, any kind of kingdom they've ever seen so what does he need to compare it to he compares it to uh, bread making and for them bread making was uh, something they grew up with watching their moms make bread you know it's, it says and a woman uh, took and hid in three measures. So the women did this work, and so they watched their moms do this growing up. It was very familiar to them. And uh, and so they they had a, had this down pat. Uh, and the way it worked was they took three measures of flour, which a measure, three measures of flour would be about 50 pounds of flour. Can you imagine making that much bread at one time? That's enough to feed 100 people. Add some water to it and mix it up, and you got this huge chunk of dough. Uh, and uh, then uh, they would make so much bread that they could feed their family, uh, their extended family. They could feed uh, their neighbors, the, their their workers that they had working for the family, and probably people passing by. They were overloaded with bread, so it was probably a, a happy time around when when they made bread that everybody was getting excited about it. So they had memories of this, and it was uh, a typical scene for them. And uh, But the, they started it by they would get this wet flour and this huge 
mass that they had and stick in a piece of uh, sourdough. Uh, and as it, as it was mixed and uh, this previous mixture that had been saved and put in the dough was hid in there and then what happened, it would leaven the whole thing over time. It bubbled up in its fermentation. It permeated the whole amount of flour, causing the bread to swell up, bubble up, and expand. And this is, and this with this parable, Jesus was not looking at something outward growing, but he's looking at something, something that was inward influencing. He says, "Don't underestimate the kingdom. We not be may not be having much impact on the Jewish leadership. We might not be having an impact on the nation of Israel. It's not going to be quick." But over time, the leaven's going to permeate the whole lump of dough, the whole amount of dough. And the dough here is the world. It's the world. Uh, the leaven is the kingdom, and hidden. And the kingdom is hidden in the world. The world can't see it. Uh, Romans 8 says, The glorious manifestation of the children of God has not yet happened. People see you going down the street. Uh, they can't tell that, that you're... Uh, that you're a child, child of God. Uh, uh, they, they can't tell that you're headed to be a co-regent with Christ. You may have a fish sticker on your bumper or uh, you wear a cross around your neck. They still don't see it, do they? they? They can't tell any different. You look like the rest of the world to them. But while they don't see it, you're influencing the world with your testimony, your righteousness, the gospel and the work of the spirit lives are being touched and lives are being changed and just like the leaven that permeates we bubble up we change what's around us it isn't just Chris, Christendom and Christianity that big bush that's visible on the outside all of which is, are not true believers it's the real deal that's going on on the inside just like the leaven changing the character of the bread, we're changing lives around us. Uh, you can't see the kingdom. It's moving and expanding and permeating and growing. Uh, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we know that's happening, don't we? It's, it's a silent growth, but it's growing. Uh, can you imagine the stretch it was for these guys to imagine or, or to comprehend what Jesus was trying to help them conceive here uh, I, I can't but the key truths here are the power of the kingdom is extensive and the influence of the kingdom is extensive uh, the kingdom is like leaven uh, and sometimes when you see uh, sometimes when you see the work of leaven you may say well wait a minute isn't leaven bad I've heard that leaven is, is bad uh, isn't that evil and certainly uh, the kingdom of God isn't, isn't evil uh, or Jesus would never use this term or the idea of leaven if it conveyed something that's evil no the concept of leaven is a concept of influence only uh, it's something that permeates and saturates and changes things now in Luke uh, 12 1 Jesus said beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is a hypocrisy leaven here is false religion, false doctrine, false righteousness. Beware of that. Why? Because just like leaven, like the principle of leaven, it does permeate, it influences, 
So you need to get out of systems like that and get away from that. Don't don't go there. Don't expose yourself to the false teachings uh, because it does have influence. But so does truth. Truth has a divinely energized influence, whereas false teaching has a satanically energized influence. So beware of those leavens. So when we're talking about leaven here, he's talking about the influence that is good, transforming, saving influence that's sanctifying influence. The kingdom leaven influence is amazing because it permeates not, not by politics, not by laws, not by lobbying, not by forcing things. It's hidden in the dough of society. It permeates and permeates and bubbles and bubbles and under the power of the Holy Spirit transforms one life at a time. And the power of the gospel is working in the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the positive influence of the kingdom comes from the inside. It's hidden. It can't be seen, but it works from the inside. People who look around and say, we're not making enough headway in Washington or in foreign affairs or in fixing social issues. We need more Christians in politics and leaderships and standing for up for these causes or for that cause or whatever. And I'm not against that, but I'll tell you something. The advancement of the kingdom is hidden, and it works. It's powerful, transforming work through our lives, touching other lives, person to person to person to person. Uh, transforming society by its hidden influence it's really amazing. Uh, I read recently that 95% of the world's population have part of the Bible or the whole Bible in their language now. That's amazing. Uh, see, it's working. 90% uh, of the tribes have had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. It's working. Uh, it's estimated that around 65,000 people profess to give their life to Christ daily around the world. Uh, about 1,500 churches start every week. That's amazing influence. Uh, we don't need to have political power. We don't need to have military power. Christians through the years have, have gotten this confused. All this happens through influence. Jesus put it this way, I will build what? My church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And someday he will return and we'll be glorified and we'll reign with him a thousand years and on into eternity. But until then, the kingdom grows externally and Christianity advances in name and in reality. But it also grows invisibly in the hidden in Christians who permeate society. Our challenge today is ask yourself questions like this. Are you permeating the world that you live in? Are you influencing those around you by the power of the Holy Spirit? If not, why? And if so, how much? Is there, some, is there more influence that you could be used to, to, uh, to do? Or... Are you one of the people that's being influenced by, by this hidden uh, leaven? Uh, and if you are being influenced by it, have you never repented and surrendered your Lord, to the Lord 
uh, Jesus. There's no better time than now. Jesus says, come. The Spirit says, come. That's some, a decision you need to make. You need to uh, and need to, some help. Come and talk to us about that. Let's pray.